but we were still coming down, thundering toward the water. Well, we splashed down, all right, and that basket was wet. We were wet up to our waist. The forward inertia of the balloon carried it so that it was slapping on the side of the water, even though the balloon was still maintaining, uh, looking like a balloon, and then it rebounded and looked like it was going to stand up again. (laughs) And the little gal in the basket, Teresa, started laughing, and I knew we were okay. Episode 65, Hot Air Balloon Piloting with Craig Kennedy. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. I have a really fun guest for you today. I have always been intrigued with hot air ballooning, and I've found a really cool pilot from down in Arizona. His name is Craig Kennedy. He's going to be on to tell us all about hot air ballooning, what it's all about, and the awesome experience you can have up in one of these balloons. So let's get started. A Nebraska native, Craig Kennedy grew up in a ballooning family learning the science of aerostation from his father. Craig has over 2,000 hours as a lighter-than-air pilot rated in both hot air and gas balloons and is an experimental home builder of balloons. A full-time pilot, Craig is an independent contractor operating passenger flights and advertising balloons for multiple companies and several Fortune 500 clients. He has a 25-year background in television and radio news and has been calling the sunny Southwest his home since 1990. Craig, thanks for joining me. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So take a little time and tell our listeners who you are and what your connection to hot air ballooning is. <laughs> hey, I appreciate being on the on the podcast today. Um, you know, hot air ballooning is a family thing. Um, when I was a kid, my dad took a trip to Albuquerque to the big international balloon fiesta. He took his flight, 100 bucks or whatever it was at the time absolutely fell in love, came back home to a little town, Broken Bow, Nebraska, more cattle than people, and he started doing research. And a machinist by trade, uh, he let his oldest kid, me, sweep the shop floor. But he knew that there was always something that we could do to have a connection. And he figured out that it was time to get into some ballooning. Even when we left the nest as kids and went our different directions, he could call and say, hey, Colorado Springs, or... Alamosa, and let's meet there, and we'll all be at a festival. And it became one of those ways that we could always stay connected. And it took a while, and I was out bouncing around in the news business, uh, before I really decided that I, too, had a passion for it. And he came to Albuquerque when I moved there in 1990, and he brought a little balloon And he taught me to fly just enough that I could go out and cut my eye teeth as a private pilot. And um, I guess the rest is history. (laughs) That's awesome. So what is a little balloon? Um, A single balloon uh, that would carry a pilot alone would be about the size that would be 65,000 basketballs would fit inside or 65,000 cubic feet. Nowadays, I get the chance to lift... 10, 12 people at a time in a 210, 250, 270,000 cubic foot balloon. That many basketballs would fit inside. They're buses. They're about 12 tons of mass, about six-story building that you're landing. And you look up inside and you realize it's nothing but a bunch of excited molecules. Yeah, that's a crazy thought to think about. You're just heating air, and just the heated air is enough to to take that much weight, that much volume up into the sky. Well, it's a real simple science. I mean, it's man's first form of flight. The French figured it out 120 years before the Wright brothers ever did. The Chinese were surely experimenting before uh, that with it. And then it was modernized in the 1960s. A man named Ed Yost uh, he had a contract with the Office of Naval Research, and the idea was all it was spy work. And uh, 
the modern hot air balloon was eventually born out of that, and uh, great uh, uh, advances have been made in the strength and durability of the fabric, longevity and safety. And that's what we get to fly in today, and people get to go out for passenger flights, and they have no idea the science of aerostation and all the energy and effort that has gone into this. Yeah, no doubt. So you bring up the science of aerostation. I mentioned it in, in your intro. Explain that a little bit. What is involved in, in learning all of this? Um, from a pilot perspective, we are FAA-certified airmen. We receive not a license, but a rating. <clears throat> we go through a training identical to that of a fixed-wing pilot. A, uh, the only thing that is really different would be what's pertinent to the aircraft. So we go through training identical to that of fixed-wing aircraft. Uh, the only thing that's different is what's pertinent um, to our balloon. So we're learning airspace and navigation, communication, uh, and certainly weather. That is the most critical thing to our safety the whole time. So i got to think, I mean, you, you say it's all very similar to other aircraft, but one of the things you really have to understand, and I don't understand, I have to admit, is the the air currents that you get up into. So if you need to go east, you need to go find the, the air currents that are heading east. If you want to go west, you have to do that. So can you explain that a little bit, how that works and how you navigate the balloon uh, you know, in, in lateral directions? Sure. Um, it's not that difficult if you think about it. Uh, we can fly when it's nice outside. You don't put up a balloon in poor weather. So wind and rain, we don't fly. Um, the easiest way to find out what the air currents are doing is to take a toy helium party balloon and release it into the sky and see what path it travels. Well, what it does is what we're going to do. And we'd like to fly for roughly an hour. And uh, that makes it worth getting all the equipment out of the bag because it's heavy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we'd like to give our guests a full experience. So... We can follow that track of the balloon. Well, honestly, on our smartphone is all the information right there in a nutshell from the National Weather Service, NOAA, and all these other resources that'll tell us a great deal before we ever leave the ground about what direction we're going. So our launch location and our landing location are already being considered. And we're determining our point A, where we're going to take off, based on roughly where we want to navigate toward for a point B. Now, let me take you back. When ballooning as a modern science began, people were out there. They didn't have cell phones, no smartphones, and they probably weren't putting up toy helium balloons either. So there was a lot of adventure going on back in those days. So I really have a lot of respect for the pioneers of this science. Oh, I'll bet it. I mean, your job is still complicated, but yeah, you got to think those guys back there, I mean, there was just a, there was a lot of guessing. You put the balloon up and, and you're not sure which way you're going to go and you're not sure where you're going to come down. We have a pretty good idea which way we're going to go. And then the cool part is the winds um, at different altitudes are moving at different speeds and directions. So we're using those to navigate by making the balloon go a little higher or a little lower it's kind of like three-dimensional sailing. And this morning, um, we flew in the North Phoenix area for hot air expeditions, and we had three of our beautiful aircraft up with the saguaro cactus on the outside, and we took off from near Lake Pleasant out in the northwest uh, part of the Phoenix area. And by the time we were finished, even though all three of the balloons went in completely different directions, the winds were so navigable I think we all landed within a few hundred yards of each other. No kidding. That's neat. Why would you encourage people to take their first hot air balloon adventure? <laughs> when's the first time that you've done something? When's the last time that you've done something brand new? This is one of those experiences. And most people aren't going to get out of bed and go, oh, I have to go take a hot air balloon ride today, right? But you might be in a city or at a vacation area and you see balloons and there's a little whimsy 
just a little something that speaks to you. Well, this is one of those things that can be experienced by anyone. You got a couple hundred bucks in your pocket? Imagine taking off on a glorious four-hour adventure, roughly an hour in flight, somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour, hour and a half, and all of the preparation prior and the wrap-up and conclusion with our company. We do a full uh, full spread afterward with a nice little breakfast snack uh, on uh, nice picnic tables with tablecloths and napkins and china and flatware, and we're serving mimosas and uh, champagne flutes. So, yeah, that's what it's about, is doing something brand new again. Now, not everyone's cup of tea, right? Most people might say, or some people are going to say, what about heights? I don't do heights. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can't tell you, Travis, how many folks will wind up going along with their significant other because that's what the other person wanted to do and they're going to go along on this flight anyway. And they get in a hot air balloon and they realize in no time that this is not something that causes them a fear of heights. And there's a reason why. In a balloon, you are not connected to the earth. There is no relative sense of your altitude. And it's very calming, comforting, and allows people just to release uh, any fear and trepidation. Yeah, I mean, I gotta—I haven't been in one myself, but I have to f- think that the the feeling is just so gentle and and serene uh, while you're up there that I can't imagine having a fear of heights while you're there. It's got to be absolutely just so beautiful and. I don't know. The very first time that I took off in a balloon, my dad was piloting. It was 1980, leaving out a little broken bone, Nebraska. It was actually right out of our front yard. And I believe it was my brother and I, and it would have been Christmas morning or the day, Christmas morning. Um, My brother and sister had gone up with dad the day before. I was on the air at the radio station, and I remember talking about this yellow object in the sky and a lot of people there was there's a lot of buzz in our little town about this well, it was my turn and i got in the basket and dad starts the thing gets the burner going and uh the earth falls away from me it wasn't we were lifting off it was the earth fell away and of course the fear was there in that i'm looking at the rigging on this basket and I'm looking at the cables and I'm going, is this really going to hold together? Am I going to be safe? I was like, well, A, my dad's not going to put me in a situation where two of his kids and he are going to be in danger. Of course not. (laughs) Especially on Christmas morning. Thank you very much. (laughs) Mom would have had none of it. And you, uh, you you just realize that over time and with a little bit of uh, research into the science, you see how overbuilt these aircraft really are. They are built to very rigid standards. Uh, like I say, FAA-certified aircraft, we are FAA-certified airmen, and they go through uh, rigorous inspection uh, every 100 hours in the case of a balloon that's being used for hire that would uh, carry paying passengers. Right. Yeah, you described the the feeling of taking off as the earth falling away from you. And I think that really, that really struck me when you said it. And I, I could finally realize, uh, it, what it would feel like, um, because everything is so gentle and, and the way it moves, it's not like an aircraft taking off where it pushes you down into the seat or back into the seat. Um, you know, I think any, any other flying apparatus out there, um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't think compares to flying in a hot air balloon for that very reason. Oh, Travis, it doesn't. Now, you're floating along in such a beautiful, serene fashion and just enjoying the view. And, you know, your pilot is pointing out uh, all of the scenery all around and telling you what you're getting a look at. And you're not paying for the flight. You're paying for the landing. And you bet we give a briefing. We tell you where to hold on, how to bend your knees, how to brace your body, and what to expect. And sometimes we have a nice gentle marshmallow helicopter touchdown, hover in. Sometimes we come greasing in a little faster and go bump, 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 because like I said, it's about 10, 12 tons of mass, six-story building you're trying to stop. 
Um, but the balloon does stop, and it goes where the pilot's going to put it, and the chase crew, the ground guys who are following the balloon, bringing breakfast, bringing your food and beverage, going to take you out of the desert, they're going to be there to, to catch you too. But no matter how many times I tell a brand new guest, here's what to expect, you don't know until it happens. Just like the first time he got on a jetliner. You didn't know what the landing was going to be like till you touched down. And I will guarantee you that most of our landings are way nicer than the last jetliner that you set down in. <laughs> That's comforting. <laughs> so how about an exciting moment when things went a little surprising, shall we say? Uh-huh. Why do people always want those stories? Isn't that funny? Because it's fun. <laughs> we can't do a podcast without those fun stories. All right. We'll get real. Um, Colorado Springs. I'm trying to recall what year. It was probably in the mid, eh, maybe, let's say 2005-ish. A friend of mine in Albuquerque said that he could not go, but he had a client, and this balloon had the client's logo, and it needed to go to Colorado Springs and fly the Labor Day weekend rally. We take off near Memorial Park, uh, Lake, excuse me, and it's probably 100, 150 balloons. And there are a group of us at Colorado Springs, as in Albuquerque, as in Reno and other places, who will take off a full hour before the sun comes up. We are flying in the dark. It's just, it's everything about the first time that I flew in a balloon coming as close to repeating that thrill. So we're launching in the dark. There are a couple of us. And I pop up. Well, I'm going up pretty fast, and I have one little gal in the basket. She's been a crew member, maybe 17, 18 years old. She's a local. And she doesn't weigh much, probably 100 pounds dripping wet. And we're rising fast, and my goal was to just leave the launch field, get up and over the trees, and maybe, maybe touch the balloon down in the water, do what we call a splash and dash, where you just barely put the bottom runners that are underneath the basket onto the water, and then glide on the water a little bit, and then lift away. That's a splash and dash. That's well, the intent. <laughs> we did a splunkin dunk, and I'll tell you, it was because this balloon happened to have a little manufacturing defect that I didn't know about. And when I tried to vent a little bit of the heat out, the top of the balloon decided that it didn't want to naturally seal up the way it was supposed to. And we started coming down, down, down from about <laughs> 300 feet. And I remembered what we call hangar flying, where... After flying, you sit on the uh, tailgate and have a soda and you tell stories. And someone talked about the thing that I was experiencing in that very moment. And it came rushing back into my head what I was supposed to do. It's all part of training. And we do recurrent training, all of us, all the time. And I did what I was supposed to do. And I burned a certain way and made the burner go a certain direction, and yes, it burned some fabric, but it didn't cause any massive damage that made the balloon uh, lose its integrity. But we were still coming down, thundering toward the water. Well, we splashed down, all right, and that basket was wet. We were wet up to our waist. The forward inertia of the balloon carried it so that it was slapping on the side of the water, even though the balloon was still maintaining uh, looking like a balloon, and then it rebounded and looked like it was going to stand up again. <laughs> and the little gal in the basket, Teresa, started laughing, and I knew we were okay. That's great. <laughs> I for the shoreline, and our buddies were shucking their wallets and their wristwatches, and they were ready to come into the drink after us, and I yelled back, it's all right, we got this. And I add a little heat, little heat, little heat. We got this balloon basket to lift out. And we flew it out of that lake. And we got it. And we got it up and down and landed. About six hours of repair to the fabric later. And the balloon was all better again. And we had a good story. And Teresa got a ride that she couldn't today pay you for. And let me tell you something else that I did not know. And I do not carry pregnant women. But, but I'm bummed. This gal 
told me only last year, did you know that my son was actually, I was pregnant with him and didn't know it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we had another guest. <laughs> Clearly, God did not intend for us to have a real bad day that day. He That's had phenomenal. way bigger plans for that child and for both of us. Well, I love that it turned out that way, and it's probably good she didn't tell you about it until much later on. <laughs> Let's talk car racks, specifically Yakima and Thule. Chances are, if you're listening to our show, you either have one, want one, or you're going to need a car rack soon. Car racks, whether on the roof or on the back, need a good set of locks to keep your gear locked down to the rack and to your car. Good news. Our new sponsor, Z-Lock, has new lock sets for all Thule and Yakima racks at about one-third less than anywhere else. These lock cores are sourced from the original manufacturer and include bonus keys. Need replacement keys or cores matched to your current lock code? Z-Lock has replacement options even if you've lost all of your keys and don't know your key number. Check this out. Z-Lock is offering Adventure Sports Podcast listeners an additional 20% off their already low prices plus free shipping. Just enter the code ADVENTURE at checkout and you'll save up to 50% off a of retail. Go to zlock.com forward slash adventure. That's Z-E-L-O-C-K dot com forward slash adventure and save. Hot Air Expeditions has been rated Best Balloon Flight in Phoenix by Fodor's Travel for the past 20 years in a row and offers morning hot air balloon experiences in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area daily and year-round. Get whisked away and witness breathtaking views of the Sonoran Desert from 7,000 feet. Sunset flights are also available seasonally, November through March. Ready to cruise the skies? Give them a call at 1-800-831-7610 or visit them online at www.hotairexpeditions.com. have a fascination with hot air balloons. I was really excited to get you on to have you explain them to me and describe it for our listeners. I was on before we had our interview. I was telling you about this and I was looking at some YouTube time-lapse videos of the uh, Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta. And I, I'm man enough to admit that I was actually kind of emotional watching this video because it was just it was a dark sky. It's before the sun has come up and these balloons are gently lifting off and they're lighting up against the dark background with the flames in them. And it was just this, this awe-inspiring image of all of these balloons going off. They're like very large Chinese lanterns floating up into the sky. It was so cool to see that. And I'm, it's on my bucket list officially as of today to get down there and see that. So can you describe that better than I have to our listeners and what that whole uh, event is all about? You are speaking of the opening uh, moments of the Balloon Fiesta, which is always held the first week of October every year in Albuquerque. And it begins with the Dawn Patrol show. Now, my dad was a participant in the roughly 1980 range um, where he was introduced into ballooning. And a group of California pilots thought, hey, wouldn't it be neat to go out in the desert and fly balloons in the dark? Well, some of these guys were doing this not just at sunrise or after sunset. They were doing it 9, 10 o'clock at night in a full moon. So they were able to convince the FAA that with the proper position night lighting, and we're talking about some blinking lights below the basket, uh, that it would be safe for balloons to fly in the dark. Fast forward several years to the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta. My dad was involved in this uh, with several other pilots, and it was born, but it was not an official on-the-field event. Well, I believe it was 1995, and the event director at Fiesta, Pat Brake, asked if I would help coordinate a Dawn Patrol show like 
was still being done in Reno by the California uh, group. And I said, sure, why not? I asked Dad, hey, you want to help me do this? He says, son, honestly, coming to the, uh, uh, that town on the right week is my idea of choreography, but go for it. <laughs> and I asked a few friends, and we had seven balloons the first year. We have had as many as 25 balloons up in the dark. And we put together a script, and of course the music. And it's a, it's a pre-dawn ballet in the sky, and it begins with the balloons, with the music, dramatically inflating and then all standing up, adding the flame, making the balloons uh, all stand up at once. The introductions are made, the passengers are boarded, and then one by one from both ends of a long line that stretches all the way across a 150-acre park, these balloons start launching. And then we start communicating, all on the same radio frequency, all on the public address system, and we call our own show from the sky, and we tell the guests on the ground, stand by, we're going to make the balloons burn at the same time. And we light our burners. And you're right, like Chinese lanterns, away we glow. That is awesome. Yeah, I would say if somebody out there hasn't seen the videos of this, jump on to YouTube and type in the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta and specifically Dawn Patrol, and check this thing out. It is amazing. Um, I want to hop on the motorcycle and get down there in October. I want to witness it for myself for sure. Travis, you or any of your listeners, if you get a chance to just experience a balloon flight wherever you are, and certainly in Phoenix with Hot Air Expeditions, uh, contact us You know, at hotairexpeditions.com if you're going to be in this beautiful Valley of the Sun and request the special flights. Uh, look for the opportunity. Do something different. Uh, yeah. as, as far as a Dawn Patrol flight, it is the e-ticket ride. I, it's not really sold uh, hardly anywhere, and uh, so few people get to do it. But it's almost like two flights in one. Because, for example, in Albuquerque, the mountain is to the east, so it's blocking the sunrise. So you get in the air, and you go high, and you're enjoying the carpet of lights below you. You can see the cityscape. You can see the long, long lines of people who didn't get up early enough to be on the field for the launch yet. And you're knowing that you know, you're enjoying the very best part of the flying day, the beautiful air. And you go higher and higher. Well, now you're seeing the sunrise over the Sandias. Well, guess what? You can let the balloon cool off and come down lower. And now you wait for the sun to rise on you again. That sounds phenomenal. Take some time and tell us about Hot Air Expeditions. This company has been in the valley in operation in one form or another for 24 years plus. And when Margie Long began this operation, to the best of my understanding... Her goal is to always just provide the premium experience for guests. So it isn't uh, come out for a quick flight, we'll get you up, get you down, uh, give you a quick glass of champagne and a, a muffin, and send you on your way. No, <laughs> no, it's way better than that. You're going to have to block three and a half hours of your time, sometimes four, because it's an expedition after all. Um, it's not a buggy ride. You need to come out uh, dressed to go in the desert, and you will be picked up either at your hotel or at Deer Valley Airport and shuttled out in uh, vans by your drivers, and they will begin answering your questions, and we know that you'll have many, and they'll get you comfortable with the process as they take you to meet your pilot and your specific balloon uh, with the other guests at whatever launch location may be of the day. And you'll climb aboard this balloon, and we will, as a group, go fly. So you'll have other balloons to see. You'll have plenty to photograph. And our crews will always make sure and take plenty of pictures of you in the basket. If it's a special day, if it's an anniversary or a birthday occasion, just let us know. We'll make sure that there's a banner. We'll make sure there's a cake for you post-flight. When we come down and land, um, we will put out a spread 
and you will enjoy a, a light nosh, and uh, we'll get you on your way in air-conditioned comfort back to your vehicle or to your hotel at the conclusion. In the winter times, um, we're actually able to do flying in the late afternoon, in that sweet spot of roughly an hour before sunset. Um, and that's only typically from, let's say, October-ish through into March somewhere. And that's because the winds are nice enough and they slow down to the point that it's very safe uh, at that time of year when it's winter here. And it's still very comfortable and warm, um, but we just need the thermal activity, the up and down drafts to not be caused by the heat of the day. Um, So... With that in mind, people can fly both a morning flight as well as an afternoon flight. Um, I just had guests uh, yesterday who said, oh, guess what? We had such a good time. You will see us Sunday before we leave town. It's that infectious. So hotairexpeditions.com. Log on. Take a look at our page. I think you will see that this company has by far the most experienced uh, a group of uh, folks in the business. And it's interesting. You mentioned Albuquerque, and as someone who had called Albuquerque home for a long time, until I have most recently planted my flag firmly in Phoenix, you'd think that as the balloon capital of the world that there's a lot of flying there. Well, yeah, there is. And during Balloon Fiesta, there's tons. But on an annual average... With the number of passengers that we carry and a few of our friendly competitors carry, there have been more people take balloon flights over the years in Phoenix than anywhere else in the United States. Kind of cool little fact. That is cool. Yeah. So come join us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can probably convince my wife to to join me down there for a for a weekend and a balloon ride. So why Arizona? Why did all of this balloon activity end up in Arizona? Was it did it have something to do with the the fiesta or was it just because you have good weather year round? It really does come down to nice weather and there are parts of the country where it's just going to be stormy way much more often than others, places that are going to be notorious for wind. And here No, that's just not the case. Folks are coming here year round to vacation even during the heat of the summer when we're running some special deals from time to time. Uh, Contact the office and find out what's going on. People are arriving and finding that when we come out right at daybreak, it's still very comfortable, and it remains so for that first two, three hours while we're out doing our activity. Oh, yeah, and you gain a little bit of altitude, so it's only going to get cooler up there as you're you're in the sky. Right, we're starting at 1,500 feet above sea level, give or take, and what's Albuquerque? A mile high, the other mile high city. And uh, But this is a comfortable place to fly. There is so much to see in the Sonoran Desert wilderness. Uh, you never know what's going to be out there. Anywhere, anything from, you know, bunnies and, and uh, coyotes out looking for them uh, to you might find wild burrow, uh, some javelina, uh, wild, wild pigs out there. Always something to see. We'll point it all out. You'll enjoy it immensely. I love it. Wild play element parks are where adults, teens, and kids can go for their adrenaline rush. With parks located in British Columbia and Alberta, Canada, your family can experience the excitement of a zip line, aerial adventure courses, and even bungee jumping at the Nanaimo, British Columbia location. Call 888-595-2251 and mention the Adventure Sports Podcast to get the Fearless Fans group rate. Again, that's 888-595-2251. You can also visit Wild Play on the web at www.wildplay.com. This summer, introduce your kids to the power of authentic outdoor adventure. Serving school-age kids from pre-K to the 12th grade, Avid for Adventure attendees climb, paddle, bike, hike, and thrive in the outdoors. Avid for Adventure offers authentic adventure camps different from other outdoor camps. 
Their highly skilled and educated staff, unique adventure activities such as rock climbing, kayaking, and biking, and their focus on outdoor confidence building for young kids is what sets them apart. Learn more and sign up at www.avid4.com or call 1-800-977-9873. So how would you say hot air ballooning is a benefit for society in your words? Hmm. How do we benefit? Well, if it stirs the imagination and speaks to the soul, surely that's good. We all need happiness and diversion in this life. Uh, how do we lean in and find that? Um, this is one of those ways you, you just get out and you enjoy it. Now, so much has been given to us so freely. You bet we want to go and share it with others. And I think you'll see in this, in this sport, in this science, as in so many others, we are trying to uh, connect with our community. We give back. We get plenty of requests. Um, uh, could we make a little donation? Well, it's, it's a grand opportunity for us to donate a flight that, that could be auctioned off for for a church or a group, a civic group. Um, when we get a chance to go into a school, uh, we do that. I have flown a balloon contract uh, until most recently for Intel Corporation for 19 years, for example. And as you could imagine, um, when Intel wanted to touch schools and maybe give away computers, well, they could bring the balloon along uh, as a centerpiece as well. And I've landed with Hot Air Expeditions balloons in um, the playground of middle schools not long ago. And the principal and teachers came out. And once they realized everything was absolutely safe and secure, they asked, do you mind if we send out the science class? And it's like, you bet. Let's talk. About <laughs> How does this happen? And now you're absolutely taking math and science, and applying it to something that just sets kids on fire. Yeah, that's perfect. You imagine their eyes just light up as you guys come in, and then you teach them how this, this crazy big contraption actually floats in the air. I think about my um, oldest grandchild, Xavier, at 15 years old. I had him as a little bundled-up kid at six months in my arms going up and down on tether ropes on a Christmas Eve glow at the country club in downtown Albuquerque. His first free flight, free of the ropes, going with granddad. He was two and a half years old. And he, of course, has just gone gaga over the balloons. My grown uh, sons, 33 and 31 years of age, still love flying. And we do that any chance that we get. Um, but Xavier, for instance, uh, it opened up his mind. It became a pathway so that he wanted to start learning what math and science were about. He got involved with Civil Air Patrol. Uh, now, my understanding, he's about to uh, go into an academy this fall at uh, the local airport in Albuquerque, where he'll be able to really put all of this to work. So it's exciting. It's really exciting to see kids just come to life once they get a chance to hands-on and do this. Absolutely. Well, good for him. I mean, flight is uh, fascinating. I've always been fascinated with myself, and it's just what an awesome thing to get into. Can you think of a better way to make a living? I haven't found one yet, and I'm perfectly delighted to say this is the one I do. I had enough of, as I tell my guests, taking advantage of people's bad days in the news business, and now I get to go make good memories instead, and I am absolutely grateful to my maker that uh, I'm in a position where I can uh, take 10, 12 people up every day, and uh, that they can, you know, we get up, down, safe and sound, and they're sharing with me one of their bucket list days, and in an ideal world, 
some of these folks, uh, it really sparks something, and they come back for more. It's not just a one and done. Yeah, that's great. Good for you. So tell me about competitions. Um, I understand there's some distance competitions and some more sport flying. How do they do competitions with hot air balloons? <laughs> As you might imagine, from the moment there was one of these things, somebody was saying, I can do that better, right? Uh, going on in Longview, Texas right now would be the U.S. National Championship, and you have a collection of the finest uh, competition balloon pilots in the country, and they are up against some really fierce conditions. It is hot, and it that means it's kind of breezy. But they are taking some kind of football-shaped balloons that will go very slick up and down uh, through the air currents so that you can uh, get your left and your right turn by adjusting your altitude very quickly. And they are dropping bird seed bean baggies with a fabric tail onto large fabric X's on the ground, and they will do multiple uh, targets over long ranges of distance and... The one with the highest points at the end winds up absolutely the champion, and you bet there's some good money on the line. It's a very, very competitive sport. Oh, that sounds neat. So is fuel management a something to be factored in here, or do you, they just simply have enough fuel that they don't much have to worry about it? Fuel management's always a consideration. Running out is never an option. But under these circumstances, uh, when we go fly, uh, we're required uh, to have a reserve, um, and you don't ever, ever want to push it. Now, if you're flying competition and you're zipping up and down, you are flying uh, by yourself, but chances are you're carrying an ample load of fuel. But what if, what if the winds were light and you're just trying, trying at a mile and a half an hour to just get a little more push to the side so that you can drop your baggie dead center on the X? Well, you're going to hang there. You're going to wait. You're going to wait it out. So, yeah, sometimes people push it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so this isn't one of those sports where the average guy is going to say, you know what, I'm going to go buy a hot air balloon and just get into the hobby just for the heck of it. But out of curiosity, what does a rig cost? Who else would go out and get a motorboat? People go for a, a <laughs> with a friend and go, I think I'm going to have one of those. Or they go get an RV or they go to the races one weekend and they get a stock car. Nah, this, this is no more crazy than anything else that we do. But <laughs> if, if you decide that the bug is bitten, yeah. Um, it's like getting a car and it's like a nice car. 50, 55,000 for a family balloon. That's uh, pretty accurate. The aircraft that we fly in excess of a hundred thousand dollar machine, um, and then you can get it used because you're going to have to go through a training. You're going to have to uh, beat things up a little bit. Maybe you don't want the shiniest car as you're bouncing around the desert or wherever you are learning how to fly. And there are those who have burned a balloon, and those who will burn a balloon. It is just part of the deal. Don't fall in love with your animate object. Uh, they are meant to be repaired. They are tools. Yes, we treat them with tender, loving care. But there is some hot involved with this hot air ballooning. <laughs> a little bit of flame. How big of a hole can you put in one of these things and still have its integrity <laughs> intact? Well, the nice part, it's all in the book. Uh, <laughs> there's a flight manual involved. It tells you what acceptable damage is. Uh, as long as it's generally speaking in the very throat of the balloon down in the bottom area um, and within certain size parameters, everything's fine. It's the upper part of the balloon where the real heat, the lift is, where uh, the ultimate integrity has to be. Okay. Yeah, and imagine the, the damage you will take is down in the throat of the balloon where that flame is. Sure. It's, it's probably fairly difficult to burn the upper regions of that balloon. True, but also consider that, you know, um, the balloon is made of a fabric. It's a double ripstop nylon, urethane-coated, UV-inhibited, and uh, it can get cut, and sometimes it winds up being snagged on something just when you're packing it up from the last time you flew, and few things are worse than putting a balloon out on the ground, excited and getting ready to fly, and you start putting air in it, and you realize, ah, I have a, I have 
a repair that's needed, and I can't do it in the field, and I guess we're going to breakfast. Oops, that's the way it is. Back to the drawing board. That's right. But now there are also other ways that some people are home-built uh, experimental aircraft flyers, and I was fascinated with that science, but it was my dad who brought me into that. And they're using, we are using, ultralight uh, fabrics like from a, uh, a steering parachute, a foil parachute. Okay. So, for example, 90,000 cubic foot balloon, pilot plus two or three people, the Intel balloon that I would have flown. Um, that envelope, the bag, the thing that you would call the balloon, that would weigh about 245 pounds in its bag. Well, one that I learned how to build from Dad, same size. It just uses some different materials, and the thing weighs in at 140 pounds. Wow, that's a big weight savings. Old fat man ballooning made fun. You can pick it up and down, and you don't have to have uh, big trailers. Uh, I could take a – and now the propane cylinders, that's probably the largest space required – because there are baskets that are carbon fiber uh, that are covered in cordura that are fully collapsible, and you put the system away after flight and the balloon back in the bag, you can throw it back in in the back of a Ford Flex vehicle, an SUV. Well, that sounds like the way to go. When you do, you you have to get these checked out and go through the whole process, just like any other balloon, correct? Any other aircraft, all of them are required to be inspected on an annual basis. In the case of any aircraft that is used for hire, meaning or in furtherance of a business, so carrying passengers or advertising for someone, they must be inspected 100 hours if it comes before the year. Okay? Makes sense. Yeah. So have you ever dropped anybody out? Purposely, I have not taken and dropped skydivers personally, but there are many who have, and I just, luck of the draw, I've always happened to be flying other guests, and none of them wanted to jump out on that day. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen videos, I've seen photographs, I have friends who do it, and they just have a ball at it, just south of us at Eloy at the Arizona Skydiving Center, I've got a buddy he uh, goes by the nickname Burner, and people sign up. Uh, of course, people, competitors are coming from around the world to get better. Uh, military are sending in skydivers for training, and they they get tired of jumping out of the other stuff, and they go, "Wow, hey, let's put this in the logbook. I want to jump jump out of a lighter than aircraft." So they sign up, and Burner loads up a dozen of them in his bucket and takes them up to a mile and says, "Get out." And he drops down to earth and comes and gets 12 more out of the van, climbs up another mile and does the same thing and lands a balloon. And that's the end of his day. So not a bad gig, I suppose. That's great. I'm sure there's been a guest or two in the past where you just, you would wish maybe they got out. No, (laughs) (laughs) I won't make you answer that. (laughs) No, not at all. So a funny story. We love to end our episodes with a funny story. Can you think of one on the spot? So, funny story. All right. Evening flight, when we launched from the northwest Phoenix area real close to the uh, uh, beautiful lake, there's also a glider port out there. So we are familiar with the tow plane pilots and the glider pilots and very comfortable with them as obviously they must be with us. Well, we rock it up, and we're probably, I don't know, three, 4,000 feet off the desert floor. And it's very common to uh, have the gliders come in for a little closer pass. Well, I had a private flight this night. I'm a smaller balloon, so it's a fellow and his wife. And here comes this glider. And it's coming from a nice distance, and it's coming in, and it's coming closer, coming closer. And I'm telling the guests, watch this, watch this, it'll be great. And at the last second, they peel off. My basket starts shaking, and I'm thinking, I've never really had one of those gliders come in that close that scared me while the shaking stopped. 
and all of a sudden the glider goes away and it goes down low to build speed and it climbs back up and it comes back in at us. Now we've descended a little bit and the glider's coming closer and closer and closer. At the last second, it turns in tight and it curves in so close to us we can see eyeballs <laughs> or canopy. This basket is shaking again. And I'm not understanding why in the world everything is doing this. <laughs> well, I finally realize my guest, the male guest, is an airline captain. I'm talking 747 Heavy. He has a hold of the uprights. He is shuddering in the basket. And he finally looks to me and he says, Craig, I have never had another aircraft that close to me in flight in my life. <laughs> Wave him off. Wave him off. <laughs> <laughs> His wife was fine. Of course. I'm sure. Isn't that always how it works? <laughs> uh, that's great. So I wanted to make sure people uh, knew where to find you guys. So Hot Air Expeditions, you can find them at hotairexpeditions.com. And you can also give them a call at 1-800-831-7610. And next time you're heading to Arizona, give these guys a call. Uh, it looks like they put an awesome spread on for you. I uh, like I mentioned. I think I will throw it on my bucket list and uh, convince my wife to to come down and take advantage of the offerings that you guys give. It just looks amazing. Count on it, Travis. We would absolutely love to have you as a guest. Please ask for me. We all go by Captain John or Captain Mikey D or Captain Tommy. So if you have a good time, I'll be Captain Craig. If I'm not, and your trip advisor needs to be written, I'll be. Captain somebody else, right? All right. Well, maybe I'll bring a parachute just in case. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring along an alien parachute man, a, a toy parachute for you to play with. How about that? Fair enough. Fair enough. Promise. All right, Craig. Thanks so much for spending some time with me on the Adventure Sports Podcast. I loved hearing all about hot air ballooning, and I hope our listeners did as well. Thank you, Travis. Be well, and God bless. Take care. Would you like to be a guest on an upcoming show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us.